Today is March 1st, 2024. Uh, welcome to Read Through the New Testament. And that's what we're doing, reading through the New Testament. And again, I have my dad with me today. Say hello. Hello again. Yes. And uh, he's just enjoying reading so much, he just wants to keep reading for you guys. So, And I want you guys to keep reading your Bibles, too. That's right. That's right. And, you know, by the end of the class, all of the students are going to have read the New Testament. Good. And uh, when we started the class the very first day, I think only two of them have read through the New Testament. So this is going to be about uh, 18 more who have read through the New Testament for the first time. Well, it's going to be both a challenge and a benefit to you. So I would look forward to it if I were you. Yep. And I just trust that you'll read it many, 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 many more times um, as you live and grow. Okay, we've got the second half of Luke chapter 20, and then we'll read Hebrews chapter 7. So if you remember from yesterday, um, we had some people coming, pretending to be sincere, asking Jesus some questions, and they tried to trick him in response. And today we're going to see that starting with the Sadducees. The Sadducees don't think there's a resurrection, and that's why they're sad, you see. And so they're going to ask him about the resurrection, trying to trick him, and Jesus will again answer masterfully. So Luke chapter 20, verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died I've heard a preacher say before that... <laughs> John MacArthur, in yeah. fact. What did he say? He said, did anybody ever check her cooking? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And afterward, the women also died. The woman also died. And in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And they sought this question. He's going to totally stump Jesus on the resurrection. And he responded masterfully. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of attain worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of god being sons of the resurrection but that the dead are raised even moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the lord the god of abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. And David thus calls him Lord. How is he his son? Now, this passage takes a lot of study, but it's kind of simple that we see David saying, the Lord saying to my Lord, who is the Messiah, who is the son, who is the son, shouldn't be superior, but uh, one is superior, and it just stumped them. But this next section warns us of the scribes, and it says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greeting in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues 
and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Okay, so as you work at your summaries, this is this is pretty easy, right? That Jesus was challenged uh, about whose authority he had. And then there was that, that parable of the wicked tenants who killed um, the, the messengers. And then had two t- questions about taxes and question about the resurrection. And Jesus then questioned them about Psalm 110 and then just the, the warnings. So you can summarize that however you want. And uh, it's, it's fairly easy and straightforward at this point. Okay, uh, now we're in Hebrews chapter 7, which is going to talk about Melchizedek. Uh, This is probably a a pretty confusing passage, but Melchizedek appears only three times in all of the Old Testament. He appears in Genesis 14 when he appeared historically to Abraham, and uh, Abraham uh, gave him tithes, um, just thanking him he was the king of righteousness. And then David refers to him in Psalm 110, and then here in Hebrews, particularly Hebrews chapter 7, Melchizedek appears again. It's amazing the insight that the writer of the Hebrews gets out of Melchizedek. So if you're summary, you can just say anything about Melchizedek, talking about Melchizedek or truth about Melchizedek or the implications of Melchizedek or Jesus is like Melchizedek. Anything like that would totally work. Um, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham, to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem. Melech means king, and Tzedek is righteousness, so king of righteousness. But he's also king of Salem, that is peace, shalom. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was who Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are who these are also descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendant from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In this one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Okay, so verse 7 is the key. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. And, I mean, who can be greater than Abraham? Well, this Melchizedek, who is a, a kind of a forerunner to Christ or a, a symbol of Christ. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood for under it, the people received the law. What further need would there to have been another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named according to the order of Aaron? You know, the Old Testament, the Levites speak a lot about the order of Aaron, but here comes along a priest who's better than Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law. 
For the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident. <clears throat> excuse me. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is written of him. You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we will draw near to God. It's interesting here. This is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 4. And we just read from Luke chapter 20, which Jesus quoted from Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, the most quoted uh, psalm in all the New Testament. It would do well if you knew that psalm and even spent some time memorizing it. But here it is, the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, when he was a priest, came from the order of Melchizedek, not a Levitical priest. And it's not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn that he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. There's that word, better, better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yeah, beautiful thing. Jesus always lives to pray for us. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Simply the argument of Hebrews 7. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. We will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Have a great day.